If you don't believe in God and the devil, I wouldn't say you're crazy, but you're intellectually malnourished. Those are the words of Norman Mailer. We're quick to say, I don't see how someone could look at the world and still say God doesn't exist. It's obvious for anyone with eyes to see. But are we just as quick to say, I don't see how anyone could look at the world and still say the devil doesn't exist. Isn't it just as obvious that evil is real and present in our world? Listen, the evil that we see in our world cannot be explained simply by saying people make mistakes. Lack of education, poverty-stricken neighborhoods, and broken homes cannot adequately explain the violence and wickedness we see in our society. Mental disorders, chemical imbalances, all of that cannot account for the greed and hatred and perversity that surrounds us on all sides. No, there are spiritual, supernatural forces of evil at work in this world. The question is, what are we as Christians supposed to do in the face of such evil? Evil that threatens our loved ones. Evil that makes a mockery of God in this world. Evil even from within our own selves. What are we to do in the face of such evil? Well, very simply, we are to trust Jesus. Our text this morning is in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 5. Verses 1 through 20. Please stand for the reading of God's word. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat immediately, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. 
Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man, all about the swine. They began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And now he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Please be seated. This morning we are looking at the second of four consecutive miracles performed by Jesus. These miracles are intended to make one fact very clear. Simply this, Jesus is Lord. Amen. He is Lord of difficulty. We saw that last Sunday as we looked at Christ still the storm. He is Lord over demons. That's the study we're looking at this morning. He is Lord over disease and even death. And we'll see that tonight. All four of these miracles are a call to you and I to believe that Jesus is Lord and to respond by trusting him. So the message this morning is this, trust Jesus in the face of evil. Now, the question we're going to answer this morning is this, why should I trust Jesus in the face of evil? The text gives us three reasons. Here's the first one. Why do we trust Jesus in the face of evil? First, evil is real and dangerous. We trust Jesus in the face of evil because evil is real and dangerous. In the first five verses, what we see is an example of the damage the forces of evil can do in a person's life. Verse 2 tells us this man had been possessed by demons and he comes to Jesus. As soon as the boat lands in the region of the Gerasenes, which was on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, they, they crossed from Capernaum across the Sea of Galilee and as soon as the boat got there, this man came running out of the tombs and approached Jesus, demon-possessed man. And I want you to notice what it says. Immediately, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. You see that word met? That word sometimes is used of one army meeting another army in battle. What's the point? The point is, this is not a friendly encounter. There's hostility in the air as this demon-possessed man comes to face Jesus. Verse 3 tells us, this man had his dwelling among the tombs. The tombs were not like the cemetery you see in front of our church. The tombs were caves cut out in the rock. 
Some of them were man-made, some of them are natural, but they were basically caves where the dead would be placed. I want you to think about something. This man lived among the tombs. Even in life, this man was consigned to live among the dead. He had become such a danger to himself and others that it was no longer safe for him to live in society. People had tried to control this man, but he couldn't be held even with a chain. Verse 4, he had often been bound with shackles and chains. The chains had been torn apart by him. The shackles broken in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Shackles were used to bind the legs and feet. Chains were used to bind the hands and arm. And, and with supernatural evil strength given to him by these demons, he broke all of the restraints holding him. No one, no group of men had enough strength to subdue him and control him. You see that word subdue in verse 4? It was used of taming animals. The forces of evil have turned this man into an animal that cannot be tamed. Verse 5. His life exists of roaming around among the dead in the mountains, screaming and shrieking and cutting himself with stones. What's going on here? The forces of evil have so destroyed this man's personality that he has been driven to the point of insanity. Can you see that? Try to picture this man naked, bleeding, screaming, shrieking, living and sleeping and roaming around the tombs. Listen, the forces of evil have made this man's life nothing more than an animalistic, self-destructive, living death. Many of you will recognize the name Josh Duggar. Josh Duggar is the oldest of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar's 19 children. This family was the focus of the TV show 19 Kids and Counting. The Duggars are very devout Christians. Josh was homeschooled. He wasn't allowed to watch or listen to anything questionable on TV or radio. They had only very restricted internet access. The Duggars did everything they knew to do to protect their children from the evils of society. Still, as a teenager, Josh molested several girls. And now, as an adult, he's in prison for child pornography. Josh's parents did everything humanly possible to protect him from the evil out there. But they could not protect him from the evil in here. You need to understand something. The forces of evil are not just at work in the world of man. They are at work 
in the heart of man and they are dangerous. That's why you and I must trust Jesus. I want you to think about something I said a moment ago. The forces of evil made this man's existence nothing more than an animalistic, self-destructive, living death. That same description fits many in our world today. Think about this. Animalistic. Like animals, people live to satisfy their appetites with no moral restraint whatsoever. Like animals, doing whatever they can or want to do to satisfy their base desires. Biting and clawing and killing one another to get what they want. Not only animalistic, but people are self-destructive. They seek an escape from reality through drugs or alcohol, killing themselves in the process. People are, are, are destroying their consciences through godless movies and music and pornography. People are animalistic and self-destructive and people are living what is really nothing more than a living death. Dead in their trespasses and sins, people live alienated from God and hope. They are dead while they live with nothing to look forward to but an eternity of torment shut out from the presence of God. Listen to me. Never underestimate the destructive power of Satan. The forces of evil in this world turn people into nothing more than animals who are self-destructive, living as though they were already dead. Listen, Satan is our enemy and would destroy every one of us if he could. 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You need to understand something, church. It's more than bad choices that lead children into sinful, destructive lifestyles. It's more than a difficult home life that turns people into abusive, violent people. It's more than peer pressure that leads people to abandon any sense of morality and pursue a life of perversity. It is the power and influence of Satan. There is a supernatural evil involved. There are very real, very dangerous forces of evil at work in the world we live in. That's why we must trust Jesus. Satan and his demonic forces are too powerful for you and I to overcome, but they aren't too powerful for Jesus. And that leads us to the second reason we must trust Jesus in the face of evil. Jesus has authority over evil. The second reason we trust Jesus in the face of evil, Jesus has authority over evil. As we look at Jesus' encounter with this demon-possessed man, it makes one thing very clear. Jesus has absolute authority over the forces of Satan. Notice verse 6. 
Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. See that word bowed down? Sometimes it's translated worship. It means to prostrate yourself before. In other words, he bowed, literally bowed down and prostrated himself before Jesus. In this case, it's not the idea of worship, but it has the idea of acknowledging superiority. It's the same way a person would bow before a king to acknowledge the king's power and authority. It's a way of demonstrating that the king was superior to you in power and authority. Well, that's what this demon-possessed man is doing. He bows because he has to acknowledge the superior power and authority of Jesus. What I want you to notice here, there are two spiritual powers in confrontation here. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And the way this demon-possessed man approaches Jesus makes it clear which one is superior. Jesus is. Verse 7, the demons address Jesus. What business do we have with each other? He's basically saying to Jesus, mind your own business. You and I don't have anything in common. There's no reason for you to be here messing with us. Leave us alone. And then they address Jesus by name. You see that? Verse 8. What do we have to do with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. The demons use the name of Jesus in a vain attempt to render him ineffective in his attempt to exercise them. Let me explain what I mean. It was believed that if you knew a demon's name, it made it easier to cast him out. You could use his name. In the same way, the demons believed that if you use the name of the person trying to cast you out, it would hinder them. So you'll see a lot of times in the Gospels, demons would call Jesus by name. We know who you are, the Son of God, the Holy One, the Son of the Most High God. They were using his name against him to try to stop him. Because that's the only tactic they had. And then they say, I implore you by God, do not torment me. I implore you by God. Why would they do that? In ancient magic, higher level spirits would be invoked to drive out lower level spirits. In other words, they believed if they called on a spirit higher and more powerful than Jesus, that that might help to stop Jesus. Well, who's the only spirit that they could think of that was above Jesus? Well, God the Father. So they say, I implore you by God, trying to come up with some authority over him. That's the only one. I implore you by God, don't torment me. You see what they're trying to do? By calling Jesus' name and using uh, God's name against Jesus, they're trying to stop him. That's why they say, do not torment me. What are they talking about? Torment. They're talking about 
the eternal punishment that they're going to face at the final judgment. Revelation 20 verse 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the torment they're talking about. They were begging Jesus not to send them into the abyss. They were begging Jesus not to cast them into the very pits of hell where they knew they were going to be eventually. Matter of fact, in one of the other gospels, we read their words, are you here to torment us before the time, before the time of final judgment? So this is what they're doing. They're using his name against him. They're invoking God the Father in any attempt they can to keep Jesus from casting them into the pits of hell. What's the deal? The demons know that they are at the mercy of Jesus. He has the power and authority to do with them as he will and they know it. And this is not just a single demon. Look at verse 9. He was asking him, Jesus was asking this man, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. This is the demon speaking, not the man. Legion is a term for a Roman unit of soldiers, 6,000 soldiers. Now, that doesn't mean the man had 6,000 demons. It just means there were many. This was not just a demon. It was an army of demons. And yet they realized Jesus had absolute power over them. They were at his mercy. What's the point? All the forces of evil are subject to Jesus' power and authority. Not just one or two. All of them. The demons offer no challenge to Jesus whatsoever, but plead for his mercy as the only alternative they have for experiencing his wrath. So then they implore Jesus not to send them out of the country, out of that region. Instead, they want to be allowed to enter into a herd of pigs. Verse 13 tells us what happened. Jesus gave them permission. Coming out of the unclean, coming out of the man, the unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. By allowing these demons to enter into this herd of pigs, Jesus shows two things. One, he shows that the demons had indeed left the man. It was a visible demonstration that the demons were no longer in the man because they had entered these pigs and they knew it because the pigs ran off into the sea. Here's the second thing Jesus allowing them to enter the pigs accomplished. It shows what the ultimate intent of these demons was. When the demons went into the pigs, the pigs immediately ran into the sea and drowned. What does that show us? That the demon's ultimate intent in the life of this man was to destroy him. Jesus is making it very clear that the demons had left this man and all they had intended to do was destroy him. So what, what are we seeing here? Jesus has the power over all evil forces. 
He has the power to keep them from destroying you and destroying your loved ones and destroying all of creation. What you have here is a clash of supernatural forces and it's crystal clear who has the superior power. In the book of Job, Satan says to God, Job is only righteous because you have blessed him so much and have kept him from any hardship or suffering. Uh, Satan said, God, if you'll take away his blessings, he'll curse you to your face. So in chapter 1, verse 12, God said this to Satan. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Do you see what's happening there? Satan can do no more than God allows him. God said to Satan, you can go this far and no further. He can only do what God allows him. You listen to me. Satan and the forces of evil have always been under God's absolute authority. Always. And forever will remain so. And as you think about something, you remember this. Jesus is nothing less than God in flesh. He has the very power and authority of God. If God has all authority over evil and Jesus is God, connect the dots. Jesus has absolute authority over Satan and all of his forces. Listen, that's why we trust Jesus in the face of evil. Satan and his minions have no choice but to obey Jesus. Don't you understand what that means? It means as long as you trust Jesus, the forces of evil can do nothing to you beyond what God has allowed and ordained for his own good purpose. As long as you are trusting Jesus, you are safe. Jesus' authority over the forces of evil also reminds us of something. It is only in his strength that we are able to face the attacks of the enemy. Ephesians 6. We are given a picture of the whole armor of God. What does it mean to be dressed in the whole armor of God? A Christian dressed in the whole armor of God is a Christian with absolute trust in Christ and him alone. That's what it means to be dressed in the armor of God. It means to have every ounce of your confidence and trust and who Jesus is and what he can do. That's what protects us from the enemy. Listen, in Christ When we stand in him, trusting in him alone, we can face the attacks of Satan without fear, but we dare not face him on our own. It is Christ who has authority over the enemy, not the believer. 
So the second reason you should trust Jesus in the face of evil is because He has authority over evil. In verses 14 through 20, we see the third reason we should trust Christ in the face of evil. Here it is. Jesus can rescue from evil. Jesus can rescue from evil. The men who had been tending the pigs reported the whole incident to the surrounding area. After this happened, the people who we might call the pig herders, they ran off and began to tell everybody what happened. So all the people began to come to see for themselves what's going on. Now keep something in mind. All of the people in the surrounding area, they know who this demon-possessed man is. They've seen him. They know his condition. They know how eat up with evil, insanity this man was. But by the time they got to him, he was in a totally different condition. Look at verse 15. They came to Jesus, all the people of the area, and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. We're told three things. They saw when they looked at this man who had screamed and shrieked and cut himself and roamed night and day among the mountains and the tombs. It says first he was seated. He's no longer roaming the graveyard. He's calm, seated, like Mary in Luke chapter 8, verse 35 sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him as one of his disciples. Second, not only was he seated, he was clothed. He's no longer naked, which in that society was far more shameful than it is today. He had on proper clothing, calm, and ready to rejoin human society. Third, he was in his right mind. He's no longer roaming about, screaming and shrieking and cutting himself. He has regained absolute control of himself. He is able to think and speak clearly, which this story makes clear, of sound mind. So he's seated, clothed, in his right mind. One Bible commentator said this, this is a picture of discipleship and salvation, a restored individual sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's the point? This is more than just an exorcism. This is a spiritual transformation. He hasn't just been delivered from demon possession. He's become a child of God. Now, how do we know that? Here's how. You only have to compare the crowd's response to Jesus with his response to Jesus. When you look at how the crowd responds to Jesus and you see how this man responds to Jesus, it's clear not only has he been delivered from Satan, he's become a child of God. Notice at the end of verse 16, the crowd was frightened when they saw what Jesus had done to this man. Frightened. And in verse 17, they began to implore him 
to leave their region. They saw what Jesus did and they said, go home. Go home. Why would they want Jesus to leave? Well, first of all, money for one thing. The loss of a herd of 2,000 swine would have been a huge financial loss. Secondly, beyond that, what they saw in Jesus was nothing more than a dangerous, wonder-working magician. They didn't see him as the Son of God and Messiah. They just saw him as some sorcerer, some magician who was dangerous. And they wanted nothing to do with him. You see how they respond to Jesus? Now compare that with how the demon-possessed man responds to Jesus. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. In other words, he wants to go with Jesus. Wow. The man is asking that he might be with Jesus. We see that same phrase, be with Jesus, in Mark 3.14. Jesus appointed 12 so that they would be with him and he could send him out to preach. In other words, this man wants to join the group of Christ's closest disciples. As every Christian should, he just wants to be with Jesus. But the 12 had already been chosen. And it would have been problematic for one of Jesus' apostles to be a Gentile. As Jesus was primarily to begin with on a mission to Jews. So Jesus has a greater purpose for this man. You see it in verse 19. Jesus did not let him. In other words, he didn't let him go with him. But he said, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy on you. Jesus appoints him as the first missionary to the Gentiles. Think about this. This man has a unique opportunity to do something nobody else could do. He could go back to the people who knew what kind of man he was before Jesus delivered him. He could go back to the people who knew how horrible his condition was. And they would see for themselves how drastic the change was that had taken place. And then this man could proclaim Jesus as the one responsible. And in verse 20, you see that's what he did. He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Decapolis, that refers to 10 cities east of the Jordan River. This man became a missionary to a region of 10 cities. I want you to think about this. He went from hating Jesus, what have we to do with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, to loving Jesus, Lord, I just want to be with you. He went from hating Jesus to loving Jesus. He went from maniac to missionary. 
His existence was a living death. And now Jesus has given him eternal life. Listen to what I'm telling you. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. That's why we must trust him in the face of evil. Listen, Jesus has absolute authority and Jesus can rescue from evil. There are three responses we should have to the fact that Jesus can rescue from evil. I want to give these to you quickly. First, you ought to give him thanks and praise. I know Jesus has the power to rescue from evil because he did it for me. Listen, I don't know that I was ever demon-possessed, but every single person in this room were prisoners of the kingdom of darkness under the power and influence of Satan. Yes, you. We were hostile to God. Jesus rescued us from evil. That is exactly what Paul writes to the Christians at Colossae in Colossians 1.13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus did that for every believer. So when you think about Jesus can rescue from evil, you ought to give him thanks and praise that he did it for you. Second response, we ought to be missionaries. We ought to be like this man. As those who have been rescued, we need to do what the man in this story did. Go home to your people and report the good things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Do you not have family members and friends and co-workers who are lost? They are still trapped in the kingdom of darkness under the influence and power of Satan. What I'm telling you today is their only hope for rescue is Jesus. Amen. Their only hope. Tell them of Jesus who alone can rescue them from death and evil and hell. Here's the third response to the fact that Jesus can rescue from evil. Take heart. 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Well, we can see evidence of that everywhere we look. But the day is coming when all of creation will be rescued from the power of the evil one. Romans 8, 21. The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just as Jesus has set you and I free from evil, just as he can set lost people, our loved ones and friends free from evil, one day all of creation will be set free from the power and influence of the evil one. The violence and crime that dominates the news will not endure. The godlessness and perversity that has overtaken our culture will not continue forever. Those who spew venom and hatred for God will not get the last word. Give thanks because we have been rescued from evil. Be missionaries so others can be rescued from evil. Take heart because even creation will be rescued from evil. Texas resident Jeremy Sutcliffe 
required 26 verses, uh, uh, 26 doses of anti-venom after he was bitten by the severed head of a diamondback rattlesnake. He was working in his garden and he saw the snake, so he cut its head off. He went to pick up the snake's remains to dispose of it, and the severed head laying by itself bit him. You see, the severed head of a snake can still trigger its bite reflex even several hours after it's dead. He was airlifted to a hospital where he had to be given antivenom. It took over a week to get him in stable condition. And even then, he had weakened kidney function. Listen. The devil is defeated. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. Like Martin Luther wrote in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he said of Satan, Lo, his doom is sure. But even as a defeated foe, he is still dangerous. Until the day he is cast into the pit of hell forever, he will remain a real and dangerous force to be reckoned with. We dare not face the forces of evil in our own strength. We dare not because we are no match for Satan and his minions. That is why we must trust Jesus in the face of evil. He alone has authority over evil and he alone can rescue from evil. Bow your heads.